0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What do you need to get off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, develop positive coping skills, and much more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/Ramdas today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. dot slash Ramdas.
2: Hi, everyone. It's Raghu Marcus, and this is Ramdas Here and Now. Got a great uh, podcast this week. Ramdas hangs out with a couple of his very close friends and co teachers Roshi Joan Halifax, who many of you know because she does guest podcasts on the Be Here Now network, and Frank Ostiseski, who Ramdas has uh, taught with over many, many years. Uh, especially in the area of uh, death and dying and working with uh, people who are at end of life. And uh, today, uh, the discussion revolves around uh, some of the concepts from Frank's book. He has a new book, which is really um, quite fantastic, and it's called The Five Invitations. And it's it's really uh, an examination of how death offers a path to radical transformation. And I really believe, so some of the invitations are, don't wait, don't wait before you start to enter into an inner dialogue around um, dealing with the transitions in life. Uh, welcome everything and push nothing away. Bring your whole self to the experience, find a place of rest in the middle of things, and cultivate a don't-know mind. Now, all of these things really can inform our life at every stage, and uh, that a lot of what uh, certainly part of the conversation does revolve around, these concepts are highly useful to us, not just in the case of facing uh death uh, illness and so on so uh, a really important book and uh it's a, it's a fantastic conversation that i think uh, is uh super important uh, again across all stages of life not just you got to think okay i'm over 50 60 or whatever so now i can start thinking about this stuff i think if you start thinking of it in your 20s and 30s uh because it informs Uh, how you deal with life on a day-to-day basis. So these are uh, great, great concepts. Now, this gives me the opportunity to talk about support for the Be Here Now Network. Because we have Frank's book, so it reminds me, hey, get in there and go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and bookmark our Amazon link, and then put it in your bookmark browser. So whenever you need to buy anything from Amazon, you just go automatically click onto the browser and you pull up your normal what Amazon looks like. You can get anything from your refrigerator to your air conditioner to your music and for me to my supplements. I get a lot of supplements on Amazon and they deliver, as you know, very quickly. Uh, so uh, we get a few percent of uh, whatever you buy as a result of our affiliate code that's in that link. That's why we need you to bookmark it and go through it every time. And that goes a long way to supporting uh, what we're doing here at Be Here Now Network. And, and things have expanded, and I think you've noticed that. More teachers, more content, uh, the Heart Mind app. Uh, which is providing uh, a a great uh, platform for people to have instant access off their phones to all of these podcasts and videos. And I mean, it's a lot and there's a lot of people involved. So uh, I know that uh, this is very much like an ad. Uh, But we don't do ads, at least not yet. We might have some PBS kind of sponsor stuff going to happen, I hope, in the future because we really do need the support. But right now, it's all about you guys. And if it's not Amazon because you're not interested in buying stuff, well, then just go to the donate button, support button link on Be Here Now Network. And, gee, $9 a month, 9 is the... the, um, multiplier to 108 the guru number so nine is the sacred number if you can do nine a month for the next year that will go a long way to really uh helping helping us out and it's helping us out and of course supporting all the people that work and all of the different uh platforms that we need to be able to run the network and uh as well as sharing where we can with the teachers uh so that uh uh, helps them in their journey, um, as uh, it's you know it's pretty tough to uh, to get in what you need uh, as a teacher. Aside from the books, and the, I mean, look at Krishnadas. I mean, he's he's out there almost on a nightly basis working, working, working. We'd love to see you know him get some passive income. And of course, Ramdas, who no couldn't lo, no longer. Uh, travel and teach, and so on. That sounds like a real sob story, but it's a reality. So please uh, consider it, will you? And uh, the first thing to do is just get something that's going to help you out, which is Frank's book, The Five Invitations. Okay, go to Amazon and, and, and buy that book. Um, and uh, we hope that uh, you will continue because we have gotten some support for the network, and that's why I'm making a bit of a big deal because we need a lot more. So, this is Ramdas Here and Now with Roshi Joan Halifax and Frank Ostaseski, uh having a wonderful conversation around his new book, The Five Invitations. See you next week on Ramdas
0: Here and Now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Stop for a moment and think about something that you really need to get off your chest. It could be frustration with your job or a coworker. It could be fear or uncertainty about the future. It could be a secret that you've been hiding for years. We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Speaking with a therapist on a regular basis is also a great way to improve your communication skills. Learn to resolve conflict. Increase your self-awareness and self-esteem. Develop positive coping strategies. Build stronger relationships and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, plus switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramdas today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H dot slash Ramdas
2: Hi, everyone. This is Ramdas here and now, and he is and I'm Raghu Marcus. and Ramdas has got some real big time here and now people with him today to talk about uh, uh, the subject of is going to be death and dying, but in such a way as uh, we are going to be led through it by Frank Oostazesky. and Frank just wrote this wonderful new book the five invitations and we're going to talk about them and we got roshi joan halifax as well who just happened to be visiting for a moment right and and you're just you're just just going to come and hang with us and do this thing so we caught her unaware so to speak not really but and <laughs> ramdas so hi everybody say hello
3: hi
4: hi
2: great to be with you all thanks for everyone
4: for doing this it's really fun to be together
3: oh and frank i just have to congratulate you you got the book done <laughs> and it's <laughs> and i'm so uh i'm thrilled i think it's just amazing i know it was literally a labor of love
4: hmm. and death. it was <laughs> it, it was love and death. yeah, it was that, and I'm really glad it's done. And now hopefully it'll serve a few people.
2: Absolutely. But the beauty in it, Frank, is how much of you really is in this in terms of so many incredible stories. I mean, uh, Roshi, you were just saying you were in the car listening right to the audio thing, and you just get I'm uh, completely absorbed from one uh, one story to the next. So it's, uh, it's just, I, and of course, and the honesty in it is, is spectacular. So uh, the five invitations are don't wait, by the way, don't wait, welcome everything, push away nothing, bring your whole self to the experience, and f- find a place of rest in the middle of things, and cultivate a don't know mind. All really, really <laughs> wonderful. I love the characterizations uh, that you've put together here. Um, okay, so we're just going to get right into it. And uh, so th- right at the beginning of the, b- the first thing in the book of the first invitation is this little thing from Sogil Rinpoche. I've got to read it. Whatever we have done with our lives makes us what we are when we die. And everything absolutely everything counts that's a scary thing when you really read that and you go oh jeez yeah and it's uh, uh, as well it's also a, a real uh, kick in the ass about not waiting waiting till you're at the point at which you you don't even have, the big thing, of course, is you don't have a chance when your body is infirm to do the kind of practices that are necessary to get you into a a balanced frame when you actually approach transition. Uh, But can you talk a little bit about uh, this Sogel thing that you put in there? Because I think it's terrific. Well, it's a beautiful
4: quote. It's a beautiful quote by Sigel, of course. And, and what I like about it is everything matters, not just the big things. The little things matter too. So that also gives us some, reminds us that even those small acts of generosity or of kindness that we offer, they matter also. They contribute to the whole. Yeah. So I think that that's a really important thing. But, you know, how it relates to don't wait is that, as you suggest, Raghu, waiting for the moment of dying. You know, imagining then that we will have the physical strength, the emotional stability, the mental clarity to do the work of a lifetime is an absurd gamble, just absurd. And so we have to practice now. We have to live our lives now, not just to prepare for dying, but because this is what we've got. We've got this life right here, right now. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Why is it such a tough thing for, I mean, I can remember, you know, we went to India and I was really young, many of us were, and I can remember not paying any mind whatsoever, even knowing the concepts, to to the idea that I would be facing a, a transition that I was unprepared for. So it's very difficult, right, to, to get anybody's attention on this. And I, th- I think uh, it would be a great thing to talk about. One of the, th- one of the th- ways in which uh, to get people's attention, I think, is the idea that you do whatever work you do to get you more friendly with transition, however, and more friendly with Roshi. You've talked about the mystery a lot in the past whatever, that informs every moment of your life. I don't care if you're, you know, 21 years old or if you're 71 years old. So can, uh, can you guys, Roshi, why don't you talk a little bit about how uh, practices can, around a transition, this transition, inform other parts of your life and parts of your life that, and, and when you were you know, much younger.
3: You know, I'm, I'm recalling um, some lines from uh, a Rilke, the Rilke book portrait of an artist. as a young man that goes, um, love and death are the great gifts that are given to us. Mostly they are passed on unopened. Mm-hmm. Love and death are the great gifts that are given to us. Mostly they are passed on unopened. So I think for me, the practice, um, you know, when Frank talks about, you know, it's a gamble, I think it's actually uh, a gamble to wait. I I think it's actually not even a gamble. I think it's a catastrophe. (laughs) So (laughs) Mm. uh, that in a certain way, where there's there's an imperative that um, we live to open Uh, the gifts of love and death, eros and thanatos. And to um, take uh, this moment, you know, to come to terms with the truth of impermanence, how completely fragile our relationship to to life is, to this body is, and that this moment that we're in right here, um, in this experience, as, you know, we're being listened to or viewed by others, uh, it's gone, like a, a flash of lightning, like a, a bubble um, on the stream. It's just flash and out. So the practice for me is really about uh, being in this uh, a radical state of present moment mind, this very moment mind, this very moment heart. And, um, you know, sometimes this very moment mind and heart is uh, kind of Lazy, like, you know, we're sitting here in Maui and I'm, you know, all of a sudden I've come down thousands of feet in altitude and I feel my sloth nature arising. Well, good. Um, I, I will just be, you know, a little slothful for a while, but it doesn't, uh, no matter how lazy or sick or impaired, um, how much suffering, how much theater is going on in our political world, and boy, is there a lot, you know, the uh, states of uh, distraction we can enter mm. in, in our present <laughs> political theater. Oh boy. Oh boy, as you would say, yum, 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 yum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, this makes John Carrey, Le Carrey, look like, you know, uh, kind of fluffball. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, it's like, don't be distracted. Be right here in this moment. That's the practice. I, I love what our mutual friend Sharon says. You know, she's always saying begin again. And yeah. so um, uh, you know, we're always kind of falling off the wagon moment after moment, and then we recollect, we remember why we're here, we remember who we really are, we remember this moment because it's gone immediately. And that's for me is the practice of love and death that Rilke wrote about in that book. But I'm also remembering um, another quote uh, from the Mahabharata that goes something like um, Yudhisthira was asked, What is the most wondrous thing in the world? And he replied, um, The most wondrous thing. In the world is that all around us, people are dying, and we don't realize mm-hmm. it will happen to us.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: So yeah. hey, yeah. so in the background of our mortality, you know, just holding that space of the truth of mortality, boy, is that a kick in the, you know, to really appreciate this life, even um, when circumstances are incredibly difficult. Uh, to see if we can uh, also roll that into our practice.
2: Mm. Yeah.
3: Mm. I don't know. What do you What do you think, Baba? I'm asking your opinion. He's being shy.
1: I think you. You, you do sadhana. And there's the sadhana. It's like the dying process, Sadhana and brings you to the moment,
2: hmm. wow.
3: So Baba, yesterday, um, you were talking with Noah and me about being here in Maui and also you know this body kind of dropping away, but the spirit and love expanding. I'd I'd love to hear more about, you know, what you were sharing yesterday. It was just so powerful mm. about the the current state that you're in.
1: Mm. Current state of uh, How are you? my body is is eighty eighty. 85 or 86. I watch it all with fascination. I'm in here. With I'm watching time okay. and being in a Maui, I feel content, content. And this is the first when I got here, content. And that brings me, it brings me here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This mm-hmm. content here every, mm-hmm. every moment, every moment. Every moment. Every moment. A moment is not is not in time. A moment is delving deep within the moment. And that's where that that mystery is.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: Beautiful.
2: Mm. Wonderful.
4: Yeah, and I and I think that the, the reflection the reflection on death can help us discover what you were speaking about, Rambas. You know, that 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 death is, you know, inevitable and intimate in our lives, but the reflection on it, the contemplation of it, causes us to be much more present, doesn't it? You know? Yeah. To be here with it. Um, it reminds us not to waste time to, to really step in fully, you know, to jump in with both feet, I say, to this moment, what you're describing. And and that's why it's such a life-affirming practice, I think, to reflect on dying, to contemplate at dying. Not again to prepare for some moment at the end of a long road, but to be right here, right now.
2: Yeah, and that makes it absolutely pertinent to everybody, not just seniors. And I think that's a a major point that uh, this this is what I meant when I said before or asked the question how that's exactly how it can enhance our life and inform our lives. This these practices around this. And another thing, Frank, you said um, you talked about while we mostly associate impermanence, impermanence with sadness and endings it's not all about loss in buddhism impermanence is often referred to as the law of change and becoming that's a great thing these two correlated principles beautiful way of saying it yeah right. I, oh, I love it provide balance and harmony just as there is constant dissolving there is also constant becoming i mean this is to me a gigantic thing for for all of us for people to absorb and um, I think goes a long way to taking some of the sting away from the fear of change and impermanence. We rely on impermanence, you said. The cold you have today won't last forever. This boring dinner party will come to an end. Evil dictatorships <laughs> crumble. You didn't say when. Yeah. Replaced by... Th- <laughs> replaced by. Heard th-
3: our breakfast conversation. Yeah, boy. I can
2: only imagine. Replaced by thriving democracies. Even ancient trees burned down so that new ones can be born. Without impermanence, life simply could not be. Right. right. Really great. You know, a, a few days ago, I was in New York, and I was with a
4: dear friend, who, being with her. Who, her husband died three days before. He was 58 years old. He was an eminent physician, remarkable guy. He had the whole of Columbia Presbyterian supporting him. But now he was dead. And her basic question to me was, where is he? How can I relate to him? Is it just an end? Is it a full stop? You know? And she said, tell me, tell me what's true. And I said, well, I can't tell you what's true. You have to decide this. You have to understand for yourself what's true. I said, but let me ask you a question. When you look around and you, you, you walk in nature, when a tree falls in the woods, doesn't it become something else? Yeah. I said, do you know anything different in your life? You know? And, and so I, what I was trying to encourage her to look at is kind of what Ramdas was pointing us to, which is that, you know, it's a, we don't know how it's going to turn out. It wouldn't be an adventure if we knew how it was going to turn out. That's why it's a mystery. And the mystery invites us into that kind of open-ended inquiry, kind of discovery. Yeah. You know, these people were, were great um, adventurers. And I said, you know, your whole life has been built around adventure. This is the new adventure. This is the legacy of your husband's death, is to now understand for yourself what's true for you. Don't take anybody else's word for this. Discover what's true for you, you know. And to do that, you have to love the truth. You have to really love the truth. You know, it's yeah. like, I, I use the image of when you go to a mountain lake, you got to love the lake, right? I mean, Roshi's out there climbing around all the time in her place, you know. You got to love the view from the ridge top. But it's not enough to love the lake or love the view. You got to love the walk up the mountain. Because otherwise, when mosquitoes come out, you will turn back, you know. When it gets hard, you will turn back. You know, so in this... This life of practice that we engage in, we have to love the process. We have to love the practice in a way. That's what reveals the truth to us. You know, it's not like some religion has the corner market on truth. You know, you know we're just—it's it. always unfolding right in front of us. And uh, so, I think that's what uh, what being with dying shows us. Roshi's been with, you know, in this work for as long as I have, much longer, in fact. That's what it shows us. You know, moment to moment, truth reveals itself. Moment to moment, we begin to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
2: one of the things that you also talk about in the book is how illness opens us to a deeper dimension of being. And I think this is something good to discuss a little bit uh, because everybody experiences that and it becomes another way in to practice. And... Uh, but Ramdas, mm. yeah. I think it'd be great if you talked about, you know, I mean, you you've dealt with this stroke for twenty years. It has caused all kinds of uh, physical problems. Uh, and you do talk about how, uh, in the very beginning, and I'm sure all through these years, that you were driven, it may be not the right word, but you were certainly led to uh, what you call new planes of consciousness. And, and I think that's, to me, similar to deeper dimensions of being. Can you talk, Ram Dass, about how you how you approached these new planes of consciousness and how you were that the illnesses and the pain and the suffering basically prompted them?
1: Well, uh, the stroke would put me in the hospital and the hospital full of friends and family and doctors and so on, they were all had long faces <laughs> uh, that stroke terrible even have had stroke and,
0: I got rid of them
1: <laughs> and I was in the bed and somebody put a, a, a picture of Maharaji and I looked at the picture I said you know I had a stroke you didn't do anything about it I said were, were, you, were you out to lunch? and he said I said he said he he smiled in the picture by the way Uh, he smiled he said you want grace grace coming down the road coming down the road. And I after after the while I couldn't do anything I used to do. I used to drive my sports car and play my cello, drive my aeroplane and Everything I couldn't do that out there because my my stroke—I was left um, right side of paralysis. So I did decided I, I decided that Maharaji made me decide. I got, instead of going outside for things, I get inside and inside, wow. 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 And I said, "That, that was grace, that was grace. Because I was now getting, getting on with my spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. Because the stroke. Because the stroke. Mm
2: -hmm. Because.
1: Yeah. It was grace.
4: Ramdas, in in the course of illness, uh, particularly long-term illness, there's a kind Mm -hmm. of stripping-away process, stripping away of our identity, stripping away of our uh, roles, as you suggest. Um, But when people are in this limbo state in between, it doesn't feel very pleasant. You know, when I've lost contact with everything that I've known myself to be, And I've not yet found myself to be something deeper and more essential. I can feel like I'm in a no man's land. And I wonder, I know that you had a little bit of that, and I wonder what was like in a no man's land. This is a place where people get very scared. Well, people get scared
1: because they want control. Mm -hmm. They want control and
4: they can't control this, this, this. Yeah, so people want control. They want They want to um, uh, be able to manage this experience, which of course is totally unmanageable. Death is not manageable. Yeah. And it's curious to me that we keep trying to give it over to medicine and have medicine manage this experience, which is too big, too profound to be, um, um, managed by any one model, most especially medicine. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm always interested in Maybe, Roshi, you have something else about this, about this in between world where people get scared. They're, you know, one identity is slipping away, an essential identity isn't yet present for them. What do you, what do you find there, Roshi? Yeah,
3: I, I think this is. Um Well, I don't know what I find, but uh, I think this kind of fear of when the ego is dissolving and also all of the roles that have reified the sense of self are suddenly taken away from you. Like R.D. was saying, you know, you, you can't cook clean, you can't fly your plane, you can't drive your sports car, the cello is gone. And then who am I without these props that are all aspects of the ego? And then one of the practices that we do in Zen is we actually ask that question. Who am I? Yeah. And we go back to it again and again and again. Who am I? Who am I? Every answer that comes up is a lie. (laughs) And we have a lot of lying going on right now. But, uh, you know, um, and it's uh, pretty interesting. Every manifestation uh, that gives some kind of color to the self, some kind of structure to the self, is a trap. Yeah. It's a layer that's being, you know, laid by the ego to keep us small. And um, when we're in that transition, and I, I feel like so often uh, when I've been here hanging out with R.D. and I see him gazing out the window, um, you know I know that this small self is being liberated all the time. You know, really every exhale. Yesterday, when we got here, um, just hanging out with him, I was just had the feeling that uh, there's an even in an, a, a kind of increase of his freedom um, mm-hmm. through not only the stroke but the process of the, of aging. Mm-hmm. But it's really scary because we are we have propped ourselves up with so much structure and so much identity that suddenly it's kind of like we've leaped off um the 10,000 foot pole or the 100 foot pole and it's like woo mm. well yeah uh i think it's helpful um to explore this kind of letting go before suddenly the your legs get knocked out from under you sure. Sure. <laughs> you know through being really sick or in the process of dying yeah i think that's what sadhna is about,
2: yeah, yeah. practice
3: is about, yeah. and it's kind of, you know, it's like, this is not a romance, this is the real work,
0: mm-hmm. that,
3: about dealing with our egos, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, you guys know this better than I do, I just sit there and shake on my cushion. <laughs> <laughs>
1: When I'm looking out at the ocean. And there's clouds. And. Just being there. Being with those things. And I starting to do the work that you say the work the work with my mind. And the work proceeds, and then I get breakthrough. And where I'm the ocean, and the cloud, we're all together one. One. Yeah, it gets fascinating. Fascinating. I'm a Bhakti yogi, so. This can be done by love. Yeah. By love. Love things love people. Love, love, love. <laughs> My wheelchair, love, love, love. Love. It's all love.
2: Yeah.
1: Because every time you love something, you you bring bring it closer. Yeah. That that closeness it is one
4: it is one. Um, in my experience, Ramdas, interest is not enough. You know, the interest in transformation is not sufficient. That, at least in my own experience, I've needed love as the kind of fuel for that journey. Yeah. If you, yeah. Um, you know, there's Frank- a part in the. Go ahead. I'm
2: sorry. Robert. No, go no, ahead. just because uh, you're sparking something in me that I've been thinking about for the last few minutes as, as we've been talking. Um, and then I, I guess it's about uh, when Roshi talked about the letting go process and and Ramdas is talking about that as well and and connecting with that love inside ourselves connecting us with everything around us and and i know i've sat with uh, you ram das in, in that room and that next to you in that chair you're in right now and then i myself recently have been going through pain stuff and there's one part in your book frank where you talk about pain plus resistance equals suffering and, and when we talk about letting go, I think we all have a resistance in one way or another that gets, and certainly with pain, it gets exacerbated big time. So I'd like you all to take on uh, mm. how to deal with that in a practical way, because that uh, jumping to where you can be in that ocean of love, as as Ramdas has jumped into, it took you know it's been many years of a process for you from the point at which you had that stroke, and for many people that's uh the the resistance to anything like that and the resistances that happen in their lives make it very, very difficult to to break through so any uh, any advice at this point would be welcomed well
4: i'm not so big on advice but i i um, i can speak from my own experience a little bit Um, i mean this is first of all we want to make this distinction between the love that rd was talking about and the kind of clinging and attachment that we frequently that's a cheap imitation of that love right That, that manifests sometimes looking like love There's a story in the book that I like a lot. It's This guy, Carl, he was a kind of grandfather figure to me. He used to wear this gray sweater with leather buttons. I like it very much. I still have it. And uh, he was a philosopher. And so he wanted to learn how to use mindfulness meditation to work with his pain. He had severe stomach uh, pain. So he had a morphine pump. But he asked me if I'd teach him to meditate. So I did in a typical way that we normally do, which is to draw our attention into the Various sensations of the experience, the pain. But when we did this, it was too much for him. He was just screaming a lot of pain, you know, like that. (laughs) And and so I said, let's try something else. So I put my hands on his belly, and I said, how's this? He said, oh, it hurts too much. So I pulled my hands a little further away. And I said, how's that? And he said, oh, that's a little better. I said, okay, I'm going to pull my hands really far away now. How's that? And he said, oh, that's lovely. That's what he said to me. That's lovely. <laughs> now, I didn't do any California woo-woo stuff. There was no Reiki or special energy work happening. We were just making room for the pain, right? So he said, that's lovely. And I said, well, could you rest there? And he said, out of his mouth, he said, rest in love. Rest in love, yeah? It was beautiful. So then, from then on, whenever he'd get in pain, he'd push his morphine pump. And say to himself, rest in love, rest in love. I remember his wife came to visit him the next day and she was quite anxious and nervous. And he just leaned over through the bed rails and reached his hand out and put his hand on her knee and said, oh, darling, just rest in love, rest in love. So I think that the way he worked with the pain is not sometimes we can go with like a kind of laser attention to the pain and we can find the spaciousness that way. But other times we can give the pain space to move. And when we give anything room, it becomes workable, right? When we give anything space to move, it becomes workable. And so I think it's the, the two. those are two ways to work with physical pain. Give it space or zero income, come very precisely into it and let it open in that way. Um, but again, I think the motivation here has to be not rejection, but love and welcoming. Yeah.
2: Mm. There's another great story, uh, Frank. You should tell this actually. It's about, uh, and this goes to the, it's one of the chapters in the books, Don't Be a Role, Be a Soul. Yeah. I heard somebody say that recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's familiar to me. Yes. Uh, me too. But can you t- tell that story of being with your friend, John, who was dying of AIDS? Just It's just uh, the way in which uh, you, the honesty of dealing with something like that and then pe- playing a role until you both f- yeah. felt, I mean, it's a fabulous story, please.
4: Well, I, you know, Ramdas knows this guy, so we can, uh, this was years ago during the epidemic, uh, John was a longtime Buddhist practitioner, and there were three or four of us taking care of him, I think, and the one the, my day to take care of him, I arrived at his house and he was he was very confused. And one morning he lost his ability to stand or to hold a fork or to speak an intelligent word. It was all happening one morning. I mean, it was devastating. And I remember sitting across the kitchen table from him, which was always a little bit chaotic in John's house. And I thought to myself, where has my friend gone? He was just there just the other night, you know. And so we went through the course of the day, uh, looking after him and taking good care of him as best we could. But, you know, I, I'm a little ashamed to admit it, but I was really caught in my role. And it, you know, it, it shifted. I mean, I was paternalistic at times. I was, you know, um, the knowledgeable one, et cetera, you know. John had these um, anal fistulas, like little tumors and constant diarrhea. So taking care of him was a lot of work. And we would move from the toilet to the bath and back to the toilet you know, dozens and dozens of times. And you know, the evening rolled into the early hours of the morning and, and I was tired and I just wanted my friend to go to bed and go to sleep, to wake up in the morning and somehow have this nightmare be over. You know? So I had him sitting on the toilet with his pajamas down around his ankles and I'm washing my hands in the bathroom sink. And I look in the vanity mirror. And I can see him behind me, mouthing to me. Now, he hasn't spoken a word all day. But he, I turn around and he whispers to me, you are trying too hard. And I was. <sighs> trying much too hard to beat <laughs> something. Me, Mr. Hospice, you know. And yeah. I sat down beside the toilet. And I just started to weep. And it was the most intimate moment of our whole friendship, of our whole relationship. You know, that moment sitting there, you know, shit everywhere, both of us crying, him sitting on the toilet and me next to it. Now, up until that point, I'd been afraid to enter into that territory of helplessness. You know, I was afraid if I went in there, I'd get lost, you know. Now, I didn't get lost. I went into that territory, and there we were completely helpless together for a while, no separation between us really. And this you know we didn't stay stuck there. The situation showed us what to do next, you know. But we couldn't have seen that until we're willing until I was willing to go into that territory with him, to enter that that territory of helplessness, you know. Mm. I was standing on the outside. I was trying to be somebody. I was caught in my role. I was, you know, trying to be the helper. Yeah. Mm. And 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 sure enough. You know, reality just, when you fight against reality, you always lose, right? <laughs> Re- reality just plays right into <laughs> it. You know? And it was so intimate, Robbie. it was so incredibly intimate. So I think that this is true for a lot of us, you know, who do this work, and particularly it's rampant in, in the healthcare field, you know? Mm-hmm. People getting stuck in their expertise and their role. It's good to have expertise. Yeah. I like having tools. I got a whole toolbox full of tools but I don't set it down between myself and the patient. One of us is sure to trip over it, you know? So I don't lead with my tools. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't lead with my tools. I lead with my humanity, right? And then if I need a tool, I, I can reach there in my back pocket and get it. But bad. I don't wanna, I don't wanna walk in the room with my tools in front of me,
2: yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, so, beautiful. yeah. Great story. Yeah. Um, I
4: mean, I'm sure we've all had ones like that as well, you know.
2: To be open to human, to our humanity, I think, is uh, is all through this book and your openness to mm-hmm. to that humanity and the foibles of it as well is uh, is terrific, Frank. It's just wonderful. Um, there's another. Well, a lot more from my mistakes, I imagine other <laughs> people will learn
4: from. My mistakes too. Yeah. yeah.
2: I like this, uh, also this concept that you bring, bring your whole self to the experience. How do we cultivate our essential nature without mm. sidestepping our human nature, right? And I think we're talking, Roshi, maybe you can comment a, a little bit about that. I think getting at essential mm. nature, nature but, but not just um, throwing out. We're human. I like Jack, mm. our friend Jack Cornfield it's okay to be human it's okay but how how can we get those two things operating uh, in in a little bit more unison in our lives
3: well i've been trying for decades and i i think i've been not entirely successful
0: <laughs>
3: um you know my my feeling about this, uh, Frank and Ragu and R.D. is that um, the kind of uh, uh, every day, every inhale, it gives us the opportunity to um, begin a new day, to start again. And um, that if I were uh, just uh, pure Buddha nature like uh, for example, a, a glass of spring water without some, a twist of lime in it. Uh, it's the twist of lime that helps us appreciate the water, if you will. <laughs> it's um, Or, you know, we cook up uh, boil water and um, we then pour it over uh, tea. Mm. And it's the tea that um, has us uh, turning toward water. So I feel like our suffering is a kind of doorway, or the substantiality of um, this lived experience is a, a kind of invitation for us to open to um, this uh, a much wider vista. And again, I was just I had such a beautiful time with Ardi yesterday, talking together about this uh, process of maturation, so to speak. And um, realizing, you know, he's got about 12 years on me, 11, 12 years on me. So uh, he's kind of blazing the trail for all of us um, on how to meet life and death. And um, uh, partly uh, it's what both you, Frank, and what are you, both of you guys, what you were saying of, you know, it is this process of letting go. If we're granted another day or if we're granted another decade, um, there's some kind of letting go process that is characterized, you know, as Brother David said, by surprise. Mm. You know, there's this kind of, wow, I woke up this morning. Wow, I could sit at 4 a.m. this morning and um listen to the rain as I... Uh, did meditation, um, the blessing, of having some capacity still to serve people. Mm. I think about RD, you know, with his heart to heart, uh, encounters or you, Frank and Raghu always conjuring ways to, um, let the word of goodness, um, move out into a world that is so imperiled. Um, and I think that, um, We align behind uh, a sense of love and also values related to respect and integrity and use this life uh, as an instrument um, of goodness. But the other side of the equation is that we're constantly falling off the edge. We're constantly learning um, from the incredible difficulties that we encounter. And um, I'm actually grateful uh, to hold uh, a loving space uh, for my own difficulties and also for the difficulties of others to realize that this is how character is built. It's Mm -hmm. built by uh, not resisting uh, the, the great, you know, kind of cataclysms that we encounter, but actually opening toward uh, uh, suffering with a heart that um, is characterized by love, but also the other word for me is by courage. It's the courage to, you know, take one step after another. I mean, you know, again, thinking about yesterday in our long conversation in the afternoon, uh, you know. How um, Ramdas uh, keeps showing up, keeps offering the teachings, uh, keeps that um, h- heart opening so that he can uh, do the the work of healing in the world. And I I look at you know what you all are doing in the same vein. It is kind of the bodhisattva imperative. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry for the rave. But you know how it is. Uh,
2: And in uh, talking about what you're talking about, and Frank, in the book, uh, there's one passage, we don't have adequate language to describe this sort of incomprehensible experience, so we name it Mystery, with a capital M. Over the years, I have found that when we can experience or know directly what we can experience or know directly, may be much more important than our ability to explain or measure it. What becomes undeniable undeniable when we sit with people who are dying is that fragility and impermanence are in the nature of life. It's always coming together and falling apart, not just the physical properties of life and not just at the time of death. And it is possible to hold it all in love and compassion. Ramdas maybe you could talk a little bit about holding it all holding the mystery in love and compassion
1: it's so beautiful (laughs) it's so beautiful it's so very beautiful (laughs) the aches and pains of the body I love them. I love them. I love them. And they're they're tricky. They're tricky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they're tricky. In my sadhana, I reached. Soul land. <laughs> Soul land. Wow. Wow. Soul land. Mean. Everything. Everything. You, you, you. Oh. Love in both ways. Both ways, both ways, ways. and in the soul you have the Atman, the Atman, which is the One, the Guru, and you. wisdom the wisdom the wisdom of uh, the one i i decided i can stay here with the perceptions of my of my soul yeah i I can't stay here with with identification with my body, that's going to be fragile, but my identification with my soul, then when I'm sitting bedside, I see the It's ego is in the first part and soul in the second part. And then if I just have identified with my soul, then I go with with the person in in to the end of the ceremony Maharaji said Ramdas love everybody and tell the truth and that's important when you when your guru gets a <laughs> There's no question about it. But I said, Maharaji, I can't do that. I was I was identifying with my ego. He said, all right, come back. We'll talk about it later. Later he came to me and, Ramdas, love everybody. Just love everybody. I, I know, I watch this. I can't, I, I can't, oh, Raji. I saw that. That is a mind place. And my sadhana, from there on, how. How to get to love everybody and and tell the truth? Getting in the plane of consciousness, which I call soul land. When I when I'm in the soul land, I have no no fear of death.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: No fear of death no fear of death here I am with the body that falling apart <laughs> no fear of death my god everybody's coming in you have fear of death oh has no fear
2: of death in soul land there is no fear of death yeah Mm. yeah that's the bottom line and frank in this book you really uh, do a heck of a job getting us to soul land Mm -hmm. really is right it's a, be- beautiful. Yes, yes, yes. It's really something. And uh, by the way, everybody, it is out there. It's called the Five Invitations, Frank Ostaseski You can look at uh, the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com dot com to Ramdas Here and Now, and there will be a page up with this wonderful podcast, video podcast, webcast, whatever we're doing. And you will find all of the links that you need to, uh, and also be in touch. Frank, you have a, a wonderful website as well. And we're going to put that up there. You can tell us what it is, though, so people can go to it immediately.
4: Fiveinvitations.com, invitationscom Easy.
2: Fiveinvitations.com. Okay. That's really great. Uh, so people do take advantage of that and and do get the book. In fact, go to Amazon and our portal links so that we get a few shekels whenever you buy Frank's book from being an affiliate <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with uh, Amazon. We love Amazon. Uh, hey, thank you guys. Now this was a, a wonderful. Oh, Raghu, thank you. It's really great, and thanks Frank for suggest- I, uh... for suggesting all of this. Ramdas. Yeah. Yes. You were gonna say?
1: I just say I do I love this group.
4: <laughs> I love this group. So do yeah, we. Me, me too, you know? And Frank I'm aware at the moment of just my feeling such affection for the three of you as I sit here and in course gratitude and and isn't it wonderful that we've kind of walked this trail together? And thank you for uh, for talking today and visiting and and, and always beautiful Ram Das to be with you, especially and uh, and uh, we'll do this again next year, okay? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
3: okay. But you know, I also Frank want to thank you for doing this book. It's you know you caught um, many golden fish in the net of your experience. And um, it's just like a treasure house, opening up this book and also listening to you reading the book is just absolutely fantastic. I'm just brought so much into your experience. Mm. And just, you know, going back um, to this uh, notion of the five invitations, I think that's what Rilke was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, love and death are the great gifts that are given to us mostly they are passed on unopened and you know this book is a, a, a key if you will for opening the gifts mm. of love and death
2: mm.
3: so mm. thank you
1: yeah thank you. Thank, thank you thank you
2: thank you everybody this is Ram Dass' podcast here and now thank you Roshi Joan Halifax you can also find R- Roshi's writing a new book too, so we're going to get that sooner or later. And, uh, thank- uh, hi. <laughs> yeah. and we won't talk about that. Uh, and thank you, Frank, and thank you, Ramdas, and love you all. This podcast is brought to you by the Love, Serve, Remember Foundation and ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening, and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years.
0: Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What do you need to get off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, develop positive coping skills, and much more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash today to get ten percent off your first month. That's betterhelp h e-l p.com slash